Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, where we are getting some extra time with the speaker from last Sunday's message to go a little deeper, get some extra thoughts about the message, and get a behind-the-scenes look at their teaching process. We're your hosts, Mark and Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Menlo Midweek. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. We are here with our transitional... I can't say that word. Transitional pastor, John Crosby. You preached just a couple days ago on Sunday. Um, so thanks for being here. We'd love to know a little bit. What's What was just like a quick summary of your, your message that you gave us on Sunday? Thanks. Uh, we are right in the middle of a series uh, that prepares us for Easter where we're looking at the different meals that Jesus had uh, with folks on his way to uh, Jerusalem and trying to figure out what was the reason for this meal and what comes out of it. In this particular case, Jesus is having dinner with some of his disciples and some of his opponents, the Jewish leaders, and uh, they're talking apparently uh, around the meal, and Jesus makes this unique statement saying, I am the bread of life. And that becomes the focus or the argument that uh, distinguishes following the ways of the Jews, uh, the Jewish law, and following this new path that Jesus has. It's somehow figuring out, and then in the same way that the Old Testament sometimes says, eat this book, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Mm-hmm eat me, uh, come to me so intensely that I am absorbed into who you are. And just as I say that, that sounds not weird, but <laughs> yes, very, <no> weird. <laughs> very different than, oh, did you hear what the stock market did? So it's clear hmm. that we have to interpret what the heck Jesus meant by this central teaching. You you talked about that in your sermon a little bit. Can you just give a little overview? What what does it actually mean that Jesus is the bread of life? Eat me. <laughs> you know, he says that. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I think I researched a lot of different folks because there are many different views of this. The one that I resonated most with was uh, Tim Keller, mm. who, who said that when you look at this statement, I am the bread of life, Jesus is saying... I am food for the mind, mm. I am food for the body, and I'm food for the heart. Mm. And I fill you in ways that nothing else can. He contrasts the bread of life with the bread from heaven in the Old Testament, the manna that came down in the time of Moses to feed the, the Israelites as they fled from Egypt. And, and he says, but the people who eat of this bread, of my body, will never die. They will live forever. And that obviously sets the Jews against him uh, because Moses is the great hero of faith. But it also is divisive for the people who have been listening to him for days and weeks and months and love his teaching. But now he is saying, I and I alone can feed you in a way that saves you. And so while it applies to our minds and our bodies and our hearts, it sort of depends on where you are on the journey. 
There was so much in there <laughs> that I just want Sorry. to stay in. No, no, it's great. It's I mean, great. That's, yeah. that's kind of the point of this. And when we're talking about, you know, when we initially hear eat me, that phrase in our context is, of course, very odd. But I love how you kind of broke that up into different pieces, how the food is not just nourishment for one part, but for different parts of us, our spiritual life, our mind, our body. And it's just great to think about Jesus being all of those things and how different that might be or bring a different sort of perspective to when someone would hear, oh, I, I know that, you know, people of faith sometimes will, will you know, take communion or participate in communion. And what does that really mean? And so I think that that was, yeah, I, I loved how you did that. And that in itself could be an hour long message. Um, the division between Jesus and his opposition could be an, allow, an hour long mis message. As you were preparing for this, I mean, you had about 25 minutes or so. Was there, was there anything that you wanted to include that ultimately you couldn't or thoughts that, you know, maybe you wanted to expand on certain things more, but, you know, they just didn't have that time? I think first that you're right, that this is such fertile ground that you could plant several years of crops just yes. out of this one uh, piece of scripture. I, I think the, the part that I wish I had had more time with was uh, what I started the second half of the message uh, with was that Jesus is the bread of life, Jesus is the way we get eternal life, but... Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He died for our life. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Christians believe that it is in believing, saying the right words, trusting in Jesus, that we get to heaven when we die. And certainly that's a big part of what eternal life is. But I think the part that we under talk about is this idea of Jesus dying for our life to be different. And I probably would... Uh, think you could do a whole series on what is uh, what does life look like when it's not Wonder Bread, <laughs> and uh, I, I think that that contrast between the way of the world and, frankly, the way of folks who think that Christianity is just an intellectual belief system versus people who have started to chew on what following Jesus means hmm. is day and night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sorry. I loved, you mentioned this in your sermon too, the Wonder Bread joke. I like mm -hmm. grew up on Wonder Bread and it was not good. You know, like I think at the yeah. time I thought it was fine, but like then you have like real bread and you're like, what was I eating all this time? And it's such like a silly thing in a way, but at the same time, it's like, it also works for this context of like, you don't want this like crappy, you know, no offense, Wonder Bread makers. I don't know. Is that even still a bread around? But like you want this, like the satisfying, the deliciousness, the, you know, when you're, I think we talked about this with Adam a couple of weeks ago, when you're like hungry, it just feels like everything else is just like the worst. But then when you eat something like good and satisfying, it just like fills you and it fills your, and in this instance, you know, it fills your heart and your, your mind and your soul. And I, I, it's just a funny, <laughs> to me, it's just a funny way of thinking about it. You know, two things on that, Jess, the, the, the first is that when you hear something, it changes the way you look at everything else. Mm -hmm. So I use the illustration of Gary Player, this pro back in the 1960s, 70s, and uh, talked about him doing the 
kill on Wonder Bread. And I just saw yesterday, he is in his 90s starting the golf tournament at the Masters, which is one of the big four mm-hmm. tournaments in his 90s because wow. he has not only talked about, he's, he's, lived, this, he's lived this out. And I, I think that's a big part of the Wonder Bread uh, contrast. Uh, the other, I think, that I wanted to talk about for just a second is one of the reasons that Jesus says, I am the bread of life, don't settle for anything less, is that he is trying to force us to look at what this bread means. I talked about barley, mm-hmm. uh, that it was probably a barley loaf, and barley on the one hand is the bread of the poor. So Jesus is saying, this is not for the highfalutin folks, this is for everybody, mm-hmm. and especially it is bread for those who are hurting, bread for those who have needs. It is there to restore. And I, I think I need to take my relationship with God in a way that impacts people who are hurting. It, it, mm-hmm. uh, Phillips Brooks once said that it is the goal of the preacher to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so it almost depends on which end of the pew you're sitting on. Yeah, that's so good. And that maybe that answers this question, but as you're preparing this message, was there anything that you kind of wrestled with or struggled with? And, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of times that preachers just feel so convicted in their own messages by these specific things, and then they mm-hmm. have to tell other people how to do it when they're not doing it well themselves. Um but yeah, any, I mean, maybe that was your answer or is there anything else that maybe you were thinking well, about? pretty much I have mastered all of the life of faith. And yeah. so I'm mm-hmm. talking to you people <laughs> who are yeah. still mess ups and maybe just you and I could write a book about yeah, be great. how the little people. But of course, <laughs> I think that one of the things that makes preaching transformative is when the first person who hears the message is the preacher. That I am saying, hmm. John, don't do it. Don't tell these people that learning more verses about God will help them be close to Jesus. John, don't do it. Hmm. Don't leave them with the idea that if they would just give more to the church or if they would just break that bad habit, God would love them more. Hmm. And hmm. so this was a particular sermon for me where I had to ask myself, where do I most have a taste for the bread of life? And uh, while I'm not going to tell you where that was for me, (laughs) I am going to say that it is something that has been chewing with me through the days Mm. ever since I came to that passage. Mm. Wow. John, I have a question about just since you've been, I mean, there's so much wisdom and I think that comes from experience of really you know, living this out. You're saying I'm really old, aren't you? Uh, okay, I mean, that's all right. I heard experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Experience, you know, wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. yeah. If you were to go back and maybe remember the first couple times you taught on communion or the bread of life, would this be in the same, you know, your, your, your sermon from this past weekend and maybe one of those, would they be aligned? Would they be different? Hmm. I'm just wondering if there's any, you know, has, has your perspective on, on Well, you know, I changed. hope there'd be alignment, Mark. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and yet I am, uh, reminded of the rabbinic saying that the reason that you read the Torah, the scriptures again and again and again, is that you are like the man who steps into the Creek mm. and steps out. Every time you step into the Creek, the Creek is different because it's different water passing yeah. by yeah. And, yeah. and you are different. And, and so I hope 
that there would be some of that happening. Sure. That um, totally a rabbit hole. One of my uh, mentors uh, from afar was John Stott in the last generation, the, the pastor for decades at All Souls Church in England. And, and one of my friends had the chance to be his resident assistant for a semester. And he said, oh, Dr. Sat, this is such a privilege. It's just so great to be with you. And, and Dr. Sat turns to him and said, if you saw me the way that Jesus sees me, you'd spit in my face. Mm-hmm. And, then he, and then he said, but because Jesus' eyes are different when he looks at me, we together have hope. And I love both sides of that. Wow. And here is a guy who everybody else puts up on a pedestal, and he said, if you know what's going on under the surface in me, whether that's John Stott or John Crosby, you wouldn't believe a word I'm saying. Hmm. But because of what God is doing in me, I have that hope that it not only is working on me, but it can work on other people as well. Wow. It's a great rabbit hole. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, John, just thank you so much for your thoughts and your time. We covered a lot. And we're entering into Holy Week now. How could you encourage our congregation, the people that are listening, to really experience the depth that Holy Week can bring? We have a Monday, Thursday service. We have a Good Friday service. We have Easter services. Uh, and so, yes, they could come and experience that here with us. But what, how would you like to encourage people to do that personally, maybe at times at home or with their family? I guess on, on two levels, Mark. Uh, the first comes out of the word that you used, experience. Holy Week has juice, power, because it is not a book to be read or a lesson to be memorized. It's an experience to be savored. And that might be watching the sanctuary go dark on Good Friday and saying, what is the darkness in my life? That might be hearing the readings of the Last Supper in a fresh way on Monday, Thursday, because you're surrounded by other people. And at the same time, it's like Jesus is trying to look just down toward your end of the table. So that that experience, I think, is a huge thing. The other, for me, is that while I think Holy Week has power because of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday services, I just also think its power comes from the, it's one time during the week where those who talk about finding and following Jesus know that they should spend a little time alone and haul their soul out and look and say, oh Lord, and sometimes it's going to be, oh Lord, <laughs> and sometimes it's going to be, oh Lord, but that sense of time alone with our God, our living God, can bring us to the bread of life in a fresh way so that Easter has life forever and life that starts right now. I'll stop there. <laughs> no, that's really good. I love that. I think someone who, you know, maybe I can speak for you guys as well, like working in a church, you get so wrapped up in the prep and the filming and the Mm-hmm. Do we have all the people reading passages? Do we have all the worship ready and all that kind of stuff that we don't fully get to experience or we forget to get to experience what this week actually is and how powerful it is. Absolutely. And so I think as people are, you know, hopefully listening to this and thinking, man, I, I really need to do that. I need to spend some time. You know, I, I also want to encourage our staff, you know, and any other staff, um, church staff to do that as well. And I, I know for myself, I feel like, 
I run away from hard things. And so to really sit in what actually Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and this whole week are about and not just focused on the celebration of Easter, I think can be such a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah. Good for you. Any other Good for you. lingering thoughts you want to no, share? I, I thank you guys for this yeah. time. And, and I hope that uh, people will find something that's uh, a little helpful that lets them go back to the text and eat that book. Mm -hmm. Thanks, John. Yeah. You betcha. I'm just Thank hungry you. now. <laughs> Let's go get some so food. So it's worked. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. Well, thanks so much for listening. And our hope is that this helps you connect deeper to our Around the Table series. We have an awesome devotional for you to help you draw near to Jesus through scripture, prayer, and conversation with others. And we want to encourage you to check that out. We have hard copies available on all of our campuses, or you can download the PDF at menlo.church slash Lent. There's also different activities you can do with your family, as well as recipes and other ways that you can connect with each other and God in this season. And Jess and I here at the Online Church would love to connect with you this week. If you need prayer or encouragement, just text us. Text our online team at 650-600-0402. Or if you can't get one of the physical copies of our booklets, if you're out of the area, we'd love to mail you one. So reach out if you'd like one. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. And this was Menlo Midweek.